Hello, everyone. My name is OJ Tucker, host of the OJ Tucker podcast, the only comedy tennis podcast that talks about a political and societal culture as a whole. My name is OJ Tucker, as the name would suggest. Happy Thursday. Hopefully, you guys are enjoying your weekend, spending time with your family, your friends, watching the Winston-Salem Open as well. I am not going to cover the Winston-Salem Open. Instead, I'll be talking about things within the tennis world, but not within the Winston-Salem Open. But in terms of news outside of tennis world, we can discuss Anthony Fauci stepping down as the NIH health director and ending his role as a pretty long-tenured individual within that profession. So we'll discuss that. We can also discuss Riley Opelka and Ben Rothenberg getting into it on Twitter over Novak Djokovic's vaccine situation. I'll give you the details about what happened over there on Twitter. We can also discuss Taylor Fritz talking down on coaching and giving his overall remarks on coaching and why I sort of understand where he's coming from and agree with his line of thinking. But where we'll start off today will be Sasha Zverev pulling out of the U.S. Open due to his ankle injury that he sustained at the French Open in the semifinal of this past year with Rafa Nadal. So if you guys can see, Sasha Zverev is out. His injury is a little bit more worrisome and a little bit more gruesome than we originally thought would be. Uh, And this is from the U.S. Open Twitter account. So Alexander Zverev has withdrawn from the U.S. Open. Get well soon, Alex. And it was a picture of him with with his racket, you know, saluting people uh, at the court. And that's where we are at this moment in time. This is our predicament. Uh, Alexander Zverev is not going to perform this year's U.S. Open. And it really is kind of sad to see. I'm I'm not going to lie. Obviously, I think, you know, a lot of people have their reservations, I would say, about Sasha Zverev because of his domestic violence issues and whatnot. And I understand why, you know, people aren't big fans of Sasha Zverev, and I I totally get why people root against him and whatnot. He's based off, you know, what we've seen and from his actions and, you know, the testimonies that have been done in terms of this situation and debacle with Zverev in terms of his domestic abuse situation. It doesn't seem like it's going his way. It doesn't seem like the evidence can substantiate him being innocent. So I understand why people are rooting against him and whatnot, but I think there's a... How how can I say this in a very sort of even-keeled way, in a very sort of pragmatic way, and sort of an understanding way? I I feel like there's a lot of people on Twitter and on Reddit uh, who are very, very supportive of Zverev getting injured. You know, they're very, very happy and and want to see him derail his health because of it. And that's where I kind of have to not be in line with that. Like, I don't think wishing ill on anybody or wishing, you know, bad things on somebody because of their own, you know, actions. I, I don't think that's a good thing. And I don't think that's something that we should really ensure or really want to continue on. Don't get me wrong. I think it's fine if you want to root against him. I think it's fine if you want to rally against the per, per, with the person that he's playing with. It's it's fine. I think that's a completely valid thing to do. But to believe that, or not only to believe, but more importantly, to want somebody to continue to be injured and, and to derail his health in that way, 
And to be supportive of that, I don't think that's the best way to go about this situation. Don't get me wrong. There's a lot of things to hate about Alexander Zverev. You know, you can hate him with the domestic abuse situation. You can hate him for that U.S. Open final that he had two years ago where he choked to death against Dominic Team, where he was up two sets to love and then choked to death and had so many unforced errors and so many dull faults and had some of the worst serving I've ever seen on the court. You can definitely hate him for that. You know, those those are, you know, all valid reasons to hate on him. But to continue support for an injury, I don't think that's a good thing. And I don't think that's something that should be taken lightly. You know, I do want to, like, say that. You know, I don't think that's something that should be widespread. So, again, I, I don't get me wrong. You know, Sasha's very pulling out. You know, if for some of you, I'm sure you're you're happy for that. But to root for the injury, that's a little too much. Uh, I really do think so. But again, you know, Alexander Zverev, you know, that ankle injury, that it does, it's going to play some problems. I really do. I think it's going to be one of those things where we're going to be hearing about for the next few years to come. You know, I really do think so. I feel like this injury is a lot worse than what, than what we expected it to be. You know, I felt like that match with Nadal was was really draining on him. It took three hours to finish a two-set match, and we were still in the second set, honestly. If you watch that French Open semifinal, at the time, I was like, oh, man, this is, ama- this is an amazing match. And then you watch it on replay, and you're like, besides, like, the tail end of that first set and maybe some part of that second set, the match kind of slogged. Like, honestly, like, when I was watching the Sasha Zverev match and Rafa Nadal match in real time, I'm like, oh, my God, this is, like, one of the best matches of all time. This ha- this is up in the running for that discussion. And then you watch it on playback, and you're like, oh, man, they're taking way too much time to serve. <laughs> There's a lot of unforced errors and double faults that are happening in the beginnings of that first set. You know, they're still trying to get the bearings underneath them. You know, there's a lot of things within that match where you watch and you're like, well, this match is, I mean, don't get me wrong, it's 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 tolerable. You know, it's it's not that bad of a match, but at the same time, it, it's not what I originally envisioned it to be. You know, when I thought of that match while watching it, I thought it would be like one of the best matches of all time while watching it. But now when I watch it on, on playback, it's like, eh, not really, <laughs> not really. I'm far from it, actually. So... Again, you know, I felt like that match in and of itself was very draining on Alexander Zverev, you know, and I think people don't really mention that when they when they discuss tennis. You know, they they'll mention the injuries, but they don't mention or address how certain matches can really drain you and and can really take you out not only emotionally but just as importantly as physically, you know, and vice versa as well. You know, when you think of that 2019 Wimbledon final with Novak Djokovic and Roger Federer. I mean, Roger Federer was essentially one point away from winning it all. And then he sort of choked it, and as a result, Novak Djokovic would win that Wimbledon final. And that was like one of the few, one of the, one of the last times where we saw Roger Federer compete at that level. And it's been a downhill, sp- not spiral, but it's been downhill since then. He sort of regressed as a player because of that. So I feel like there are certain matches where you watch and like, oh man, this could really take somebody out of it. You know, it, it's really, it, I mean, that's, I mean, we'll look at that 2020 U.S. Open final with Dominic Team. I mean, yes, he did win, and it wasn't really that pretty of a win, but ever since then, it, he sort of regressed. You know, when you think of Emirata Kanu with her 2021 U.S. Open final win, you know, she sort of regressed ever since then, and she's fired a litany of coaches because of it. 
You know, I mean, there are certain matches where you look back at, and even though a person has won, you don't really think they won. And you can sort of see that with their tennis. So I feel like that match between Sasha Zverev and Rafael really took a lot out of Sasha Zverev. And we won't know the full extent of it until, say, the Australian Open or when the next French Open comes by. But I do think that you should keep an eye out for that match when it comes to his overall progression or regression in terms of his playing style afterwards. And I feel like that will be a very, very important thing that we all should sort of dissect and and sort of do our due diligence to really focus on. So again, Sasha Zverev is out with an apparent ankle injury. Very sad news uh, if you're a Sasha Zverev fan. But again, for the people that are cheering on him for this injury or cheering against him and in support of this injury, I, I don't think that. I think that's low behavior. I think that's low class behavior. Again, I don't mind people not supporting Sasha Zverev. I think that's completely fine. If you don't want to support a person that's been being accused of domestic assault, and if you think the evidence isn't going in his favor, then hey, you know, support the other person that's he, that he's playing against. But to root for an injury, I, I think that's a little too. That's a little too much, and I, I don't really, I'm not really in support of that. I, I really am not. So, overall, it's sad news if you're a Sasha Zverev fan. Uh, in terms of how this will affect his career, I mean, I do think that he will regress because of it, especially if the injury continues to exacerbate in terms of whether or not the injury will continue to linger on, because I do think that there are certain injuries that do, do linger on. I feel like you know, when you have an ankle injury, that does limit your mobi- mobility around the court. If it limits your mobility around the court, you have to really change up in uh, your playing style so that it can be comparable to what it was before the ankle injury. And what happens if he re-aggravates that ankle injury? Like, what will happen afterwards? You know, these are all questions that remain to be answered. And I feel like Sasha Zverev, over these next few months after this U.S. Open, I feel like his tennis will be noted. You know, I feel like it's going to be very, very important to notice what's currently happening with Sasha Zverev. Otherwise, you know, we will continue to think that Sasha Zverev is the same guy that he was before injury. And I don't feel like that's going to be the case. So again, you know, keeping an eye out for this ankle injury, I feel like it's going to play a role some way or another. Or he could pull a Rafa Nadal and he could win majors. I don't know. One or the other can happen. Uh, more so the former than, say, the latter. But, hey, anything can happen in the sport of tennis. So that's that's something that's very important to at least figure out and, and to point out a point across as well. So, again, Alexander Zverev out for injury. You know, it's a lot of people are happy, uh, which I don't know if that's that should be the case. Uh, but, again, you know, it's Sasha Zverev, so you got to take it in stride, you know. For me, like, I'm not a fan of any particular tennis player as a person that covers tennis i think it's very very important for me to you know be neutral on things you know i'm i'm team switzerland here so i i don't really and not on like roger federer stan walrinka i mean like i'm like team neutral so i don't there's no real one person that i really want to support or root for don't get me wrong i was a big fan of andy murray but ever since uh, 2016, 2017, he's sort of been regressing since then. So he's not been the same player as he once was. And, and I think that's a completely fine statement to make. But again, there are things where, 
you know, you just look at and, and think to yourself, you know, you got to really do your, your, uh, you, you really got to be neutral on things. And when I see people truly hate on Sasha Zverev, it's like, I understand your, I understand why, I understand why, but I think rooting for the injury, I don't think that's good. I don't think that's good to really be in favor of. Uh, because what if it happens to your favorite tennis player? Then what Then what happens then? You know, are you going to have the same belief that, oh, it's completely fine for somebody to root for an injury on your favorite tennis player? So, again, I, I, that's where I sort of draw the line there. Uh, but anyways, let's get into our next bit of discussion here. So Taylor Fritz talks down on coaching. So if you guys didn't see, Taylor Fritz was asked in an interview, and I'll just, this is from TennisWorldUSA.org, so I'm just getting this from them. Taylor Fritz explains why he feels off-court coaching is dumb rule, uh, and he would say the following. So uh, Indian Wells Masters champion Taylor Fritz thinks the ATP introducing off-court coaching is dumb, and that the new rule takes away the beauty of the game since last month off-court coaching has been allowed on the ATP tour. Coaches sitting in designated seats are allowed to give players verbal and nonverbal coaching, Fritz reveals that he hasn't he hasn't been using off court coaching, as he as he feels one of the beauties of the ten, of tennis is players figuring out on their on their own what to do in pressure moments. I haven't talked to Mike Russell. Uh, I haven't talked to Mike Russell, Fritz's coach, and that's in quotations. Uh, he and he hasn't talked to me one time since the coaching has become a thing. It's a dumb rule. Tennis is an individual sport. Why are we making it n- not an individual sport? A huge part of tennis is, in my mind, like as tennis is as much mental as it is physical, and a big part of it is you need to be figuring it out on your on the court for yourself. You need to be the one figuring it out. I think it's ridiculous that you can be mentally not there, not good analytically, not good at kind of working through things and coming up with strategies, and you can have someone tell you what to do. I hate it, Fritz said, per Eurosport. All right, so I think that was to your sport, and then Tennis World got the uh, scoop on that. But overall, um, I've been sort of I've given I've been giving my thoughts on coaching. And last year, I'll be quite honest with you, I was fully on board with coaching. Obviously, I was against Stefano Sitsipas for his off court for for the coaching that he got because that was on a, in a completely different time, completely different era where coaching was not acceptable. But last year, I was generally in support of coaching. Now I'm on the fence. And I remember tweeting this recently, I think a few months ago, where I said, I'm on the fence of the ATP allowing coaching in tennis. While it does help enhance play and make things more competitive, it takes away from players being able to mentally outwit their opponents on their own. Tennis is a mental game just as much as it is physical. I tweeted this out like two or three months ago. And I'm I have that opinion now as well. I'm not really... I'm on the fence still, and it, it's going to take me some arguing to really be back on the side of being pro-coaching, because I understand the argument against why people are not in favor of coaching. I, th- I think it does take away from being able to mentally outwit your opponent on your own, and I feel like some of the best tennis players we've seen in the past have been able to do that, whether it's Murray, whether it's Federer, Joker, Nadal. I mean, when you think of Djokovic, he often loses at that first set and then comes back and wins the next two sets or three sets afterwards. You know, so I, I for one, think it does take away from the game. And I think Taylor Fritz, I think he's right in a way where I don't think normalizing coaching is really going to help out players in the long run. I really don't think so because 
then anybody can look at it and say, oh, he got coaching there. You know, he got coaching. That's how he was able to beat beat so-and-so. And I feel like that's going to be a black eye on Stefano Sitsipas if he does win a major. You know, I know this is sort of thinking four or five years down the road, but I do think that. You know, I do think that if Stefano Sitsipas does win a major, because of the fact that coaching is now sort of being invoked by the ATP, where where now it feels as if if he does win a major, somebody can look at him and say, "Well, he only did that because he want because he got coaching." You know, it's very easy to be dismissive of tennis players now because of the fact that coaching is now normalized within the ATP and actually encouraged and supported by the ATP. So it's going to be very easy for people to look at Stefan Sitsipas and say, "You know what? That guy only got there because his dad texted him while he was in the bathroom." I don't think it's going to be like that. You know, it's going to be a little bit more direct than, say, you know, Stefan Sitsipas getting coaching from the bathroom. But the same rule still applies where people can look at Stefan Sitsipas and say, wow, he only won the U.S. Open against insert, you know, opponent, so-and-so opponent, because he only got coaching and because he got told to work on his backhands against this opponent or was told to get up to the net earlier and often because of this time. And you can see the change and how he's able to play. You know, don't get me wrong. I think coaching in a lot of ways is is important. You know, if you're in the UFC, I I mean, I kind of like the coach's corner. You know, I like it when the UFC fighters are, you know, getting their towel breaks and sitting down on a stool and, and getting help and advice from their coaches. I think that's great. You know, and then there's times where I don't really like coaching in, in uh, UFC. You know, when I when it was back in the pandemic and when you heard, you know, the coaches, you know, just shouting at their fighters during the fight, you know, with nobody in the stands, it, it didn't really make for good TV. I'm not going to lie. It wasn't really good for TV. You know, don't get me wrong. There are times where coaching is ac- completely acceptable in sports. But again, it's tennis. It's a different thing. You know, I feel like here's the thing. I feel like if this was t- coaching within doubles, I feel like that would be a little bit more salvageable thing to sort of muster up and to sort of support i feel like if this was if if coaching was done through doubles and that's how they sort of implemented it and then they sort of cautiously sort of went to singles then it might have been easy an easier pill to swallow but still i i don't think at this moment in time coaching is the most pressing issue in, in tennis like, I don't think it's the most pressing issue in tennis right now. I feel like one of the more pressing issues right now that we have to really focus on is, you know, pace of play, you know, is having these insanely long matches. You know, I mean, again, I mentioned the French Open semifinal. A French Open semifinal that ended after two sets should not be taking three hours long. You know, a, a thing that I think is very important, you know, is serves you know and is how long these tennis players take before serving and i feel like a lot of times chair umpires give leeway to nadal and to a lot of these players because of the because of the attention they bring to the sport and i feel like if they sort of can trim down that serving speed or serving time or serve clock i feel like that could be a lot better you know i feel like the overall focus and attention that tennis brings to the big four or to the big three, you know, and to the lack of care that they bring to tennis players that are not in the big three, I feel like that's a little bit more of a pressing issue. You know, when I think of 
you know, certain networks out there that don't really cover tennis and, and just hastily put it up on their network and don't really take the their due diligence or time to really make a concerted effort to talk about said players, that does chip away from the sport. You know, I feel like there's a lot of things that the ATP can do to make it a better product. You know, there's a lot of things that the ATP and WTA can do to make it a better product. You know, so I think those are things that are way more prescient than, say, that of, you know, coaching. You know, when you think of the vaccine situation, you know, I mean, I, let's let's get into that. We'll talk about the vaccine situation between Riley Opelka and Ben Rothenberg sparring on Twitter because of it. You know, so there's a lot more tennis still to be dis- discussed about on this podcast. But, you know, when you think of the vaccine situation, I mean, Novak Djokovic could only can now can only compete in like two majors per year now. You know, if the vaccine situation continues to happen, if he continues to not get a vaccine exemption for both the U.S. Open and the Australian Open, there's a good chance that Novak Djokovic can only compete in two majors per year. You know, so how can that, you know, how can that happen? You know, imagine if the best player in tennis or in any sport can only compete twice a year. You know, how can that damage a sport? You know, there are a lot of things that can be changed and improved on so that the sport of tennis can thrive and can, can can continue to get viewers and i feel like in this age oh and not only that but the atp blocking their own content that's being reposted by twitter accounts i mean the amount of times where twitter accounts get their videos flagged by the atp because they have their own footage or their own you know broadcasting rights you know, and the fact that they're able to block people with complete impunity because they have they want to grow the sport of tennis through their own Twitter accounts for no money whatsoever. They're not these Twitter accounts are not getting paid any money to show clips of tennis on court on court tennis. And to see the ATP block these Twitter accounts from posting said material, I mean that does little very little to help spread the game of tennis. You know, so there's a lot of things that the ATP can really learn on and can really improve on to, to spread the game of tennis. And I feel like coaching is not that. If anything, it only lengthens the, the sport of tennis and only makes it longer for us to sit and watch. And I feel like now with social media, with our attention spans incredibly decreasing, I don't think it's a surefire way to do things. And I feel like if you are the ATP, I think the best way to handle this is by finagling things and working on things to to decrease the pace of play and to make it more flowing. You know, I feel like spreading down or shortening down the shot clock or serve clock is a good improvement. I feel like, you know, allowing tennis players to have two balls in their pocket while they're serving and not getting another ball after their first serve doesn't get in. I feel like that could really do things. You know, I feel like, you know, shortening out the bathroom breaks could help, you know, unless they have to go number two or anything, you know, which is a different story. But, you know, I think that could definitely help. You know, I think, you know, being more strict in terms of on-court antics, you know, let's say a tennis player, you know, gets mad at a chair umpire or berates a chair umpire or a line screw, you know, taking a game out of them, I think is very important. You know, if you take a game penalty away for for uh, for somebody berating a chair umpire or berating a line screw, 
I, I don't mind it, to be honest with you. I think whatever makes the game a little bit more interesting and more high stakes and trims it down a little bit, I, I think that's that's a good thing. You know, obviously this will never happen. We can definitely, you know, talk about the semantics of it. But, you know, if somebody smashes a racket and if they get a game penalty out of it, I wouldn't mind it. You know, because, again, these tennis rackets are very costly. Some of these tennis rackets are 200, 300 bucks. You know, if you add strings in it, if you add an overgrip, you know, if you, you know, ask to, for it to be restrung, you know, some of these rackets could cost 300 bucks at most. So for people to like break rackets, I mean, how does that say for your average Joe Schmo that is barely getting by and has a child that is interested in tennis, but can get the latest and greatest tennis racket because of their socioeconomic conditions? You know, these are all things that, you know, do play a role in how tennis is perceived. And I feel like giving a game penalty for, or, you know, dare I say, you know, a set penalty. I mean, that's, I don't think there's anything such as a set penalty. I mean, I don't, I don't really think so. But giving a game penalty for racket abuse, I don't mind it. I honestly don't mind it. So again, those are little things that could be implemented to spread the game of tennis. And I feel like, you know, that's something that should be done instead of just, say, coaching. So that's where I'll sort of leave it off at that with with that news and that, that soundbite. All right. So I feel like that that's good. Uh, let's discuss the next bit of discussion here. Um, our last bit of tennis news before we get into Anthony Fauci stepping down. So Riley Opelka and Ben Rothenberg get at it on Twitter over the Novak Djokovic vaccine situation. So this was a very, very interesting sort of back and forth between these two individuals uh, with Ben Rothenberg. Obviously, you know Ben Rothenberg, New York Times writer. He's very active on social media on Twitter, uh, for better or for worse. But Ben Rothenberg and Riley Opelka are sparring on, were sparring on Twitter yesterday, and it was quite interesting sort of tidbit and news that happened. I'm, I'm belching here. I'm very, very sorry. But yes, Ben Rothenberg and Riley Opelka were going after it on Twitter, and it made for some good fodder. So Ben Rothenberg uh, tweets the following, saying if he co-tweeted somebody, I think Akash Koluri, Koluri, Akash Koluri. So Ben Rothenberg t- uh, co-tweeted him, saying, if Djokovic wants to take the selfish route and wait as long as possible to the detriment of others, which is the vaccine he's implying, uh, that's his prerogative. I'm just documenting this because it's wild to see a star who can't legally enter the U.S. because of his own choices desperately clinging on like this. And then Riley Apelka quote-tweeted that by saying, why wouldn't he give himself the le- the best chance of playing? Desperately clinging on, and quote-unquote, uh, has gone him pretty far in the business, wouldn't you say? Your personal hatred and obsession towards Novak is unprofessional. <laughs> um, that, that line was a very big dig. Uh, so Ben Rothenberg replied underneath that saying, I said, why? Because he's hanging on with very little chance of any change and it costs another player an opportunity to play the US Open. There's no hatred. It's just criticism, which is a part of my job. Novak is a very public figure and a major part of my beat. That's all. That's a very weird to put that, Ben, but no worries. And then Raya Lapalka quote tweeted this. And here's a little bit of Twitter 101. If you want to, like, beat somebody on a Twitter beef, 
don't reply underneath their tweet. You know, less people look at the replies, more people look at the quote tweets. You know, so if if you're going to go after it with another individual, you got a quote tweet. That's the thing with Ben Rothenberg. I don't dis- dismiss or dismiss what Ben, Ro- ben what Ben Rothenberg is saying. I, I think his criticisms are legitimately valid. I, I understand what, what where it's coming from, but you got to quote tweet Riley Opelka, man. You can't beat him by just replying underneath his tweets. You got to quote tweet him. All right. So, anyway, so Ben Rothenberg replied underneath Riley Opelka's tweet, but with the with that, which whatever. So Riley Opelka then quote tweeted him by saying this: "Imagine if Novak didn't hang on when odds were against him, or let's imagine he cared about opportunities for other players. He probably wouldn't have 21 Grand Slams." Which makes me question if you either hate Novak or just not understand tennis. Woo! That's that's a that is a burn right there. Uh, and then Ben Rothenberg then replied underneath that saying, yes, being stubborn never, and never giving up and never allowing self-doubt to creep in can be great qualities of a champion on the court. Uh, those same traits aren't always great in every aspect of life. Got it. Thanks, Dad. And that was the quote tweet by Riley Opelka over Ben Rothenberg. Ben Rothenberg is an interesting fella. I'm not going to lie. I've seen, I've seen his tweets uh, lately and... Uh, I look at them and I'm like, they're quite cringeworthy. Uh, I'm not going to lie. I feel like Ben Rothenberg needs to take a sabbatical from Twitter just for a few days. I know he, he probably can't afford it because, you know, he is a New York Times writer. You know, he is an employee. You know, if your company says you got to do something, you got to do it. You know, so Ben Rothenberg, you know, he's a very hardworking guy, uh, a very, a very pr- a person that's very much into Twitter and really knows how to roll up Twitter. But at the same time, I feel like he needs to take a sabbatical because I do think that there are times where he just goes in a direction where he's just baiting for people to reply underneath him, to quote tweet underneath him, to respond to his tweets. And I get it. It's Twitter. You got to do that. But he he takes it to an extent where it's just way too much. And I feel like when he's questioning Novak's character, when he's questioning Novak's integrity, when he's doing this, it's not a good look. And I like Ben Rothenberg. I want to be completely out in the open here and say Ben Rothenberg is a very good dude within this, within the sport of tennis. He asks all the right questions. He's very attentive. He, I don't know in terms of breaking down tennis, he's that great. But in terms of adding to the spectacle of it, in terms of reporting tennis, I think he's up there with some of the best. I really do. In terms of breaking down the X's and O's of the game, not so much. I think that's more so Gil Gross. Uh, Matt Rackett and Matthew Willis is also really good in that department. Brad Gilbert, obviously, but Brad Gilbert, you know, is good with breaking down the X's and O's. There's a lot of people on the tennis channel that are really good in terms of breaking down the inner minutia of tennis uh, that you should definitely go check out. I feel like these uh, play-by-play commentary for tennis on the tennis channel. I don't think Paul Anacone, but the person that works alongside Paul Anacone, because Paul Anacone does do play-by-play commentary, but there is somebody that does break down the ins and outs of tennis, and I feel like the tennis channel commentary team is really good. Uh, I think Prakash, the guy that wears like the small shirts that try and accentuate his muscles, that guy, uh, he's really good. Uh, Prakash Amritaj, I think that's his name. By the way, he needs to stop wearing those small polos. Like, wear something that's like 
not that well fitting you know wear something that's a little bit loose because it, it is kind of uncom- uncomfortable i'm not gonna lie when i see that uh i'm like dude it's like it's tennis like why are you like doing this like it's it's way too much but nonetheless ben rothenberg is a very interesting twitter follow so go follow ben rothenberg on twitter but there are times where he does go a little too far uh and i feel like he needs to take ownership of that in a lot of ways and I feel like questioning Novak Djokovic and his character in terms of this is a little too much. I feel like enough time has passed where we can now admit that the vaccine is very effective. It's very, very effective. And it's so effective that people still get COVID despite taking the vaccine. That's how effective it truly is. It's that effective. And I highly suggest you take the vaccine because I myself have been double vaxxed and now taking the booster. I actually have, by the way. Um, that's that's no joke. I have. But I do recommend it. Now, I definitely do recommend you guys take the vaccine, take the booster, because it is so effective that people still get the get COVID despite taking the booster and the vaccine and the and 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 the two shots beforehand. That's how effective the vaccine is. Now, I don't want to get, you know, demonetized or get my channel suspended, you know, by saying the wrong thing. So I'll just say that. It's very, very effective. The vaccine one of the most effective vaccines ever. It's it, I, I, I thank Pfizer every day for this vaccine. I thank Moderna every day for this vaccine. I thank Johnson & Johnson for this vaccine. It's the greatest thing humankind has ever created is this vaccine. It's the greatest thing that has been ever invented. I feel like that is the case. So thank you, Johnson & Johnson and Moderna and Pfizer for making this incredible, incredibly made vaccine that was not rushed in any sort of in any sort of the way in any sort of the of the imagination you know thank you for creating this 100% effective vaccine that has no signs of of side effects or no signs of say a harm foul on individuals just a clean perfect vaccine that makes you completely immune from getting covid thank you so much to all the companies that made this vaccine Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, but heading back into this discussion, I do want to say this, and I've been very, very, you know, clear with my, you know, thoughts on the Novak Djokovic thing. You know, I think it's wrong to ban anybody from entering a country or competing in a tournament just because a multi-billion-dollar pharmaceutical product wasn't injected in your bloodstream. I've been very con- clear and consistent ever since January when this news transpired with him and the Australian government. And I've been clear ever since then, and my, in my opinion, has not been changed whatsoever. And I think that a lot of people on Twitter, and not only that, but just in tennis in general, need to sort of borrow as well, is that I don't think having your rights being dismissed from you because you didn't get a vaccine should block you from entering a country. I don't think that's the case. Don't get me wrong. I mean, it's it's fine if your doctor says or advises you to take certain vaccines before entering a country because of, say, you know, because of, say, you know, the things that are currently happening in said country. You know, I mean, obviously, you know, if, if, if you're going to Africa, you know, it's good to take a vaccine before entering Africa, maybe, uh, you know, a t- tetanus shot or, you know, whatnot. I don't know. I'm just spitballing here. It's good to take some shots before entering a country, don't get me wrong. If, if your doctor advises you to take a shot before entering a country, that's fine. 
But to fully make a person take a vaccine, I don't think that's that's good. You know, if you want people to take a vaccine, you know, educate them on it. Don't just force them to take it. You know, if you want people to take, say, a uh, COVID vaccine, then educate them on the benefits of taking that vaccine. And if they still don't want to take it, then you got to treat them as such. You know, again, you know, I, I believe in my body, my choice, not only when it comes to abortion, but also when it comes to vaccines as well. I think the importance of allowing people to believe in liberties, to believe in knowing and doing what's right for their body is very, very important. And I, I don't think forcing people to take a vaccine is going to do anything to help the case of making people want to take it. You know, like, I, I don't. And I feel like, let's be honest here, I feel like COVID's over, you know, nobody's wearing masks anymore. I mean, we have monkeypox currently happening and nobody's wearing a mask right now. It doesn't seem like people are going to wear a mask anytime soon. It feels as if now with school being back to normal, with work life being back to normal, I feel like people aren't really viewing COVID as a threat anymore. And to think Novak Djokovic can somehow reinvigorate the frenzy over COVID just because he didn't take the vaccine, I think that's dumb thinking. I think you're an idiot if you think that. And not only that, but at the same time, we also have to take into account the importance of having a well-balanced diet. You know, a lot of people don't really want to mention this, but comorbidities do really play a role in terms of how this virus is being dealt with people. And I feel like the more healthier you are, the less of a chance you have of really dying because of COVID. You know, I mean, Shingos has this great joke. I think it's on his uh, tour. So go go check him out when he's, you know, on, on tour. But Shingos, great comedian, Man Shane Secret Podcast, great, great uh, podcast. Gillian Keefe's great sketch show on YouTube. Shingos has this very good joke where he's like, yeah, we basically ended America for a year or so over a flu. You know, and again, he does it through comedic purposes. So obviously, you know, there's leeway to having that. You know, if some random YouTuber said that on the on their show, not me, but if some random YouTuber said that and said that declaratively, I'm just paraphrasing. But if somebody said that declaratively through their own voice, they'll get demonetized. But again, it's comedy. You know, it's it's all jokes. So the, when he says that, it crushes a room. I, I don't want to like. I don't. I feel like I spoiled his joke. So my, my apologies to Shane Gillis for that. But I think he mentioned that in a, in a podcast as well with Burke Kreischer or something like that. So, I mean, it's a funny joke, and I, I think it begs repeating as well. So it, it's 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 a great joke, by the way. Really, really good joke. But yes, Riley Apelka, Ben Rothenberg going after on Twitter. I'm not surprised by it because I feel like, you know, people going after Ben Rothenberg, it's, it's nothing new. We've seen that from Nick Kyrgios. We've seen that from other individuals as well. Uh, I think not Taylor Fritz, but another individual, another American who's not, maybe Taylor Fritz, I don't think so. I think another American player went after uh, Ben Rothenberg as well on Twitter. Uh, but I, I think it's it's normalized now. I feel like he has that rapport with tennis players where they don't mind going after him. And I feel like it's in a friendly way. I don't think Riley Opelka meant any malice with this. Because again, you know, Ben Rothenberg does have to see these people, people, you know, when he does interview them. If for anybody who doesn't really know who Ben Rothenberg is, and I don't blame you if you don't know who Ben Rothenberg is, imagine if Ariel Helwani 
cover tennis, but didn't really break down tennis. Just like talked about things out in the open. You know, that's who Ben Rothenberg is for the tennis world. So yeah, that's Ben Rothenberg for you. That's Roy Opelka. And that's my thoughts on the Novak Djokovic vaccine situation. It's not right to see the American government being this sort of restrictive on Novak Djokovic. I do think that he should be given a leeway. I do think that he should be given a vaccine ex- exemption. And I think that it should be it should have happened two, three months before so that his preparation for the US Open could have been easier or so that he could be allowed to play the US Open even before then. So again, that's sort of where I want to want to lead off with that or end off with that in terms of uh, tennis news and for my tennis topics for today. So 40 minutes I discussed on tennis. That's quite a lot. I'm not going to lie. That's a lot of tennis news. Uh, so we'll end it off with news outside of tennis world, but still in relation to COVID. Uh, so Anthony Fauci has stepped down as the NIH director, National Institute of Health director, um, and it's the liberals are sad on Twitter. Uh, the liberals are sad on Twitter. Everybody else is kind of like, okay, whatever. Like Fauci's still in the news, still uh, four or five months after COVID ended, and he's still in the news. And I don't blame those individuals. So we'll I'll get into it. Uh, so this is from the NIH website. So statement by Anthony Fauci, medical doctor. I am announcing today that I'll be stepping down from the positions of director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases and chief of the NIAID Laboratory of Immunoregulation, Immunoregulation, as well as the as well as the position of chief medical advisor to President Joe Biden. I'll be leaving these positions in December of this year to pursue the next chapter of my career, which is probably retirement. I'm not going to lie. I don't think a 70-something-year-old man is going to continue being a doctor afterwards, but we'll see how that happens. It has been the honor of a lifetime to have led the NIAID, an extraordinary institution for so many years, and though so many scientific and public health challenges, I am very proud of our accomplishments. I have worked with and I learned from countless, state, countless talented and dedicated people in my own laboratory, uh, the Wuhan Institute of of Coronavirus Laboratory. No, that's not the case. NIAID at NIH and beyond. To them, I express my abiding respect and gratitude. Over the past 38 years, that's a lot of years, I've had the enormous privilege of serving under and advising some presidents of the United States, beginning with President Ronald Reagan on newly emerging and re-emerging infectious diseases threats, including the HIV-AIDS, West Nile virus, the anthrax attacks, which, by the way, uh, go read up on the anthrax attacks. That is very conspiracy heavy, um, and it's it's something that you should definitely check out. Do your Googles on the anthrax attacks. It's very, very important to do Googles. Pandemic influenza, various bird flu influenza threats, Ebola, Zika, and among others, and, of course, most recently, the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm particularly proud to have served as a chief medical advisor to President Joe Biden since the very first day of his administration. Uh, I'll just trim this down because I don't want to talk that much about this uh, or, you know, go too deep into this article. But over the coming months, I'll continue to put my full effort, passion, commitment into my current responsibilities, as well as help prepare the Institute for a Leadership Transition. NIH is served by some of the most talented scientists in the world, and I have no doubt that I'm leaving this work in, in very capable hands. Uh, yeah, so I, I think that's where I'll sort of leave off with that. He goes on and on about it, but 
Uh, I think that's where I'll sort of leave it off at that with uh, Anthony Fauci and his statement about it. Overall, here's what I want to sort of discuss about this. Uh, I think this is admission that COVID is over. Uh, and it's been over for quite some time now, but I feel like this was the nail in the coffin in that discussion. I feel like now the frenzy has sort of died down. People that are continuing to mask up are doing it for their own safety, I assume, or for for reasons I have no idea why. I feel like I feel like a lot of red states now or over the past few months are like we're cropping on blue states for still wearing masks, but I feel like it's over now. Even the most blue areas in Massachusetts that I live in, Massachusetts is where I live in, but even the most blue areas, whether it's Cambridge, Somerville, whether it is um take your pick i mean there's a lot of blue areas in, in massachusetts i mean most of the area is blue by the way but even the most blue areas in massachusetts whether it's cambridge or somerville the majority of them the vast majority of them do not wear masks now it may change don't get me wrong i do do feel like people wear masks will wear masks during the winter because of the proximity of people that are close to one another because of how cold it's getting you know i feel like it does add another protection to yourself um you know because of the winter and because of how close people are during the winter months obviously there will be spurts where people will wear masks just to be cautious of one another but at this moment in time i feel like COVID is over and i feel like anthony fauci stepping down is a sign that it, it truly is done you know and i feel like that's something that should be taken in a positive way i mean it was done a few months ago when i discussed this back in back in the heyday of my podcast but i feel like this was a declared a statement and i feel like that is a good thing now there are questions that remain to be answered you know like why was fauci funding gain of function research you know i feel like that's something that is something that that should be discussed i don't get me wrong i don't think funding gain of function research is bad but i do think that is something that should be of note you know i think that is something that should be detailed and and that is something that we should all sort of look into you know i'm not against funding gain of function research i think the idea of testing things out and making sure that viruses aren't volatile i think that's that's good that's a good thing but i do think you know, we should look into that. You know, I, I mean, I think it's kind of substantiated that he was funding gain-of-function research. You know, when he first came out of the pandemic with a 60 Minutes interview, saying masks are clear and effective. You know, I, I think that is something that should be uh, discussed. You know, when Dr. Lena Wen on CNN said that cloth masks were very ineffective, you know, and she said that after a bunch of people were wearing cloth masks, you know, and that's also something that should be sort of discussed about. You know, you know, when Lena Wen and other individuals, and this is not so much Anthony Fauci related, but when you think when you think of or when you see Lena Wen on Twitter basically parroting right wing talking points a few months after being completely in support of these lockdowns, and now she's saying that, you know, we we shouldn't put our children through any more danger and that, you know, that we should open up these schools and that we're you know, we're ruining their ability to learn, for them to learn and to for them to gain these valuable life skills. I mean, these were points that were made by Republicans a few months before then. And now she's basically parroting their ideas, even though berating them a few months prior to that. You know, so these are things, and I know, you know, this is not all on Fauci, but, you know, he is a symbol of, you know, the overall prevention of getting coronavirus. And I feel like he was the face 
for the science community when it came to, or the medical community when it came to their overall approach to COVID. And I feel like these questions are, are questions that truly needed to be answered. And I feel like now that he's retired, I feel like he can do a little bit of a better job to answer those questions. You know, I feel like him not being on conservative platforms, I feel like that was not the right scenario. I think that wasn't the right case. You know, I feel like he should have done his due diligence to be on these right wing uh, platforms. And don't get me wrong, you know, they would have grilled him. But I feel like if you have signs on your side, if you have the facts to back it up, I feel like you don't really have anything to fear if you do that. And I feel like him not being on, you know, certain platforms really did hurt him. You know, I feel like him only talking in an echo chamber to other people that subscribe to his mentality, I feel like that really did hurt him in the long run. And I feel like his run as NIH director or say NIAID director, I feel like it left a lot of questions to be desired. So... That's sort of where I wanted to get into when it came to Anthony Fauci and his overall situation, if you will, with, say, that of stepping down as the MD or NIAID. You know, I I think there's a lot of things that I really wanted out of him. You know, I feel like in the beginning of the pandemic, 2020, March of 2020, which is like over two years ago, uh, a lot of people were in support of Anthony Fauci. You know, they really were taking his word as gospel and Ever since then, his sort of pub, his public ratings have sort of gone downhill since then. And I feel like a lot of these characters, whether it was Andrew Cuomo or Chris Cuomo or, you know, whether it's, say, that of Anthony Fauci, their sort of reputation has sort of been down the toilet ever since March of 2020. You know, all of these people that I mentioned were like rock stars, they really were. Andrew Cuomo was like a rock star to the city of New York. You know, I mean, I don't think Eric Garcetti or Gavin Newsom was like that, but Andrew Cuomo was scheduled to be the front runner for the 2024 elect for like the 2024 election. You know, there was a time where Andrew Cuomo was like the big thing. You know, and when you saw people like thirst over Cuomo or Thurston or Fauci, whether it was Corden, or whether it was Colbert, or all these horrible, horrible late-night talk shows, just thirsting over these individuals. I'm like, you, sh- you can't make these individuals like godlike figures, because they're bound to disappoint you. Like, that's something that I feel like a lot of people on both sides need to recognize, is that do not, you should not view these individuals as godlike figures, because at the end of the day, they work within the political realm. They're going to disappoint you at some point or another. They're going to say one thing and then do one thing the, the opposite direction. You know, it's basically, you, you shouldn't view these people anything more than just politicians. So, you know, when I saw the overall reputation of Anthony Fauci go down, there was poetic justice to it. Don't get me wrong. It was interesting to see the duality of it. But at the same time, it, it points to a larger issue that we shouldn't take these people's words as gospel. You know, and I feel like the right understood that with Fauci, but I feel like the left, with a few, you know, outliers, whether it was Sean McCarthy on Twitter, very good follow on Twitter, uh, Jimmy Dore on YouTube. I like Jimmy Dore. I, I, I kind of like Jimmy Dore. I don't necessarily feel like I, I can have a conversation with Jimmy Dore because I do feel like Jimmy Dore is a little too loony, 
But I do agree with the vast majority of what Jimmy Dore says. You know, there's a lot of things, you know, Crystal Ball, Kyle Kalinske. There are a lot of people on the left that were very good in terms of dispelling Anthony Fauci. But there were, you know, there are a lot of people within the left that, you know, that I shall remain nameless that were very much in support of Anthony Fauci till the very end. And I feel like to have unabiding support over anybody in the political realm, because Anthony Fauci is in the political realm, I don't think that's a good thing to have. So... Overall, those are my thoughts on Anthony Fauci and on the situation. Uh, overall, it's it's quite interesting. You know, it's quite interesting to see all these individuals that were very big two years ago, two or so years ago, be like an afterthought. Like, where is Chris Cuomo now? Like, he's on News Nation. You know. By the way, like I, I don't really mind Chris Cuomo. I'm, I'm going to be quite honest with you. Like, I don't think. In terms of people on the left or people that are liberals, like Chris Cuomo, there are far more like reprehensible individuals that I truly cannot stand more so than, say, Chris Cuomo. I feel like Chris Cuomo, people hate on him. I get it. I, I, can, I, I don't really view him as that. Like I don't hate him. I don't love him either. I just view him as like, eh, whatever. He's running the mill. Uh, but there are people that people should hate. Like Brian Stelter, like... Like I I do I do not I do not know why he was on TV. He's gone, but I do not know why he was on TV. Um, you know Jim Acosta. I do not know why he's on TV. Um, there are people on the on you know that are liberal that I truly do not get why they're as big as they that as they are. You know when I think of Beto O'Rourke, I'm like that guy should not be as big as he is. Uh, but there's certain people uh, that I'm like yeah whatever. You know, whatever. And you know, Bill Maher, whatever. And you know, Chris Cuomo, whatever. Uh, it's it's what it is. I don't hate either of those individuals, by the way. You know, I, I disagree with them on a vast majority of issues, but I don't hate them. So overall, that's my uh, thought. Those are my thoughts on the Anthony Fauci, Fauci situation and uh, what I wanted to end my podcast on. So I think that's it for the podcast for today. Guys, thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure you guys like, subscribe, and click the bell icon for notifications down below. Make sure you subscribe to my podcast channel. Make sure you follow me on my Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at LJ Tucker with an underscore at the end. I think with TikTok, you ought to put the at sign in front of my username. So at LJ Tucker, A-J-A-Y-T-H-A-K-K-A-R underscore the end. On my Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok, make sure you rate and review on Apple Podcast and Spotify as well. Uh, if you're able to do that on Spotify, that would be great. Uh, make sure you leave a comment down below on any of the topics that I discussed. Um, I, you know, I, I'll do my best to respond to it. Give a heart emoji. If it's bad, I'll just leave it as is. And last but not least, make sure you guys spread it through your text chains. And through your WhatsApp group chats, I think it's very, very important to spread it through word of mouth to get more and more people involved in this podcast. It's great. I love to see more and more people get into it, you know, and sort of talk about it. You know, I've been releasing the shorts lately, and the, the shorts have been doing pretty well, if I, if I can say so myself. So, you know, I'm, I'm very, very thankful that they're doing well, relatively well. And I just want to keep growing it from here. I think I ordered some lighting from BNH, so that's some that's great. To, that's great to see. I know the lighting has been pretty bad these past few episodes because of the lack of sun early on in Boston. It's been the the daylight the t- the daytime's been getting shorter. So now because of that, I feel like it's very very important to get some lighting here uh, and to really f- spruce things up a bit and and to grow the channel more from that. So 
I think that's it for you guys today, guys. Thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you guys on Tuesday. We'll talk about the US Open if the US Open, if I can, if I'm able to watch some matches of the US Open on Sunday, if it's happening on Sunday as well, if it's playing on Sunday, I'll talk about that and things that are happening in our political and societal realm as well. So, guys, thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you guys on Tuesday. All right, guys, peace. See y'all.